Good morning. Welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please join me now as we pray the prayer of the day. Beloved God, from you come all things that are good. Lead us by the inspiration of your Spirit to know these things that are right. And by your merciful friends, help us to do them. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our Holy Gospel is the 21st chapter of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will, be, what will he do to these tenants? He will bring these wretches to their wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will, get, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never heard it read in scriptures that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is a marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce its fruit. He, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The Gospel of our Lord. Again, I invite you to uh, join me in praying together the Holy Spirit prayer in our time of meditation together today. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we gather today for worship, and we gather in a place of security and safety, and yet we know that right now there is tremendous turmoil in places around the world, in Ukraine, and now with this surprising and horrific act of uprising in uh, the Gaza Strip and in Israel, and I think that it would be good for us to at least take a few moments to just remember that we live in a world that's filled with some significant challenges. So I'd like to just lift up a prayer right now 
Lord God, we remember before you now the people of Israel and the people in the Gaza Strip and the people in the Middle East and the tensions and the violence and the the suffering that's happening there now. We pray for a swift end to this violence and that somehow peace might be restored. It's a delicate peace. It's always been a delicate peace. But we pray that somehow in the midst of all of this that a form of of justice and some form of harmony will come even in the midst of tremendous tensions. We pray for your spirit to intervene in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of my fondest memories as a youngster growing up in South Dakota was exploring the environment around my neighborhood. I was fortunate enough to live on the very edge of town, and that meant that there was plenty of wild yet to be discovered and enjoyed. And even in my youth, in the midst of that wild that was discovered and enjoyed, I think in a certain sense that some of my exploration and some of my discovery was also a form of destruction and exploitation. I think that's part of being a young boy growing up in the upper Midwest. And in hindsight now, as I think back on that, I had the vineyard, I had the vineyard at my doorstep, and it provided me and my friends hours upon hours of enjoyment and discovery. And regretfully, as I have said, some of our play and some of our discovery was destructive. And if I could go back and take back some of the things that we did, I would certainly do that now in a heartbeat. My ignorance as a young person growing up and my lack of stewardship sense, and I think in a certain sense some peer pressure, meant that I was far from reaching that maturity point in my young life of understanding what it meant to be a caretaker of the land and the vineyard that was around me. Some of the things that I looked forward to throughout the summer was the growth and maturity of the fruits of the vine around our area. My grandma, she lived a half a block from our house, and she had a small orchard or a grove. She had a small grove of apple trees. And she also had a rhubarb patch. Mm, mm, mm. that produced enormous stocks. I mean, we're talking about big, fat stocks of rhubarb. And one of the things that I looked forward to in the summertime is I looked forward to going over to my grandma's place and robbing the rhubarb stocks. And of course, I would pick the biggest and the tallest and the fattest and the juiciest. Of course, I would break off the big, huge, massive leaf on top, and I'd cut off the root on the bottom. And then I'd carefully strip off all the outer skin all around. And then I would go, and I would get myself a palm full of sugar. Yeah. Not to mention all the fresh-baked rhubarb crisp and the rhubarb apple pie that my mom and my grandma would make with ice cream. It was heaven on earth. My grandma, she also had some of the best apples in town. Now, how do I know that? Well, 
I spent more than a few hours in my mischievous days discovering all the other apple trees around town. You see, because one of the things that I did as a young kid was I had a bike. And I rode my bike all over town. And I knew, I knew where every apple tree in town was. And at the opportune time, I would go over and snatch an apple and do the taste test. And I discovered that there was nothing in town that compared to the fresh apples on my grandmother's trees. And I perhaps, not consciously aware of it at the time, but I was partaking, I was partaking and receiving the fruits of the vineyard that God had so graciously provided for us to enjoy and to feast upon. I know, I started off a little lighthearted, and maybe that's a good thing because this parable that we have before us today, it has not been an easy parable to wrestle with for me this week. And I think if you all will take a little bit of time, hopefully you'll take a little bit of time and revisit this parable again today or maybe later on this week and take a hard look at it and to take a serious listen to it. Historically and from a biblical perspective, we know all too well that God has been at this vineyard and God has been at it cultivating and building relationships with us intending us for a long time. Because that's what God has always intended. It's what I have been referring to in some of my earlier sermons as God's order of shalom, where we where care for the earth, stewardship, and shared responsibility for all of humankind has been the constant call and it has always been the intent for God's vineyard since its very inception. God has called forth people all throughout salvation history. God has called forth people to be the voices that have called out for justice, for equality, for humility, for compassion, and God's order of shalom all throughout salvation history. And mankind, in our selfishness, our greed, and need for power and control, what have we done? We have continually done all that we can to silence those voices all throughout history. That's what we've done. We have tried desperately and with all, the all that we can muster to silence the prophets, and the voices of God. And in a certain sense, that's what this passage is about today. It's Jesus talking about the fact that we as humanity, we have done tremendous disservice to God's order of shalom by silencing the voices of the prophets. And we silenced even the most important prophet, if you want to call it that, as our scripture tells us today, because the people referred and thought of Jesus as a prophet. One of, my, one of our modern-day biblical prophetic voices is a man by the name of Walter Brueggemann, and I believe that he is a prophetic voice amongst us, and he has made it his lifelong Christian calling, and he has made it his faithful pursuit to speak the truth about the Old Testament and the New Testament 
and of God's intent for his relationship with us. And one of the things that he says, Walter Brueggemann has said a lot of things, but one of the things that he has said is he says that the prophetic tasks of the church, the prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion and to grieve in a society that practices denial and to express hope in a society that lives in despair. You see, part of the illusion that we have lived with in our lives is the illusion of ownership and the desire to acquire more and more of what the world has to offer. And it has come at a price, a price that is now being lived out through species extinction, polluting of our rivers, oceans, and the very breath that we breathe that gives us life. It has cost us, through overproduction and overharvesting, of vast amounts of resources all around the world. And these are just a few of the many consequences of mankind's insatiable appetite for more. Deb Thomas speaks eloquently to this illusion. She says, somewhere along the way, the tenants have forgotten their place, their vocation. That's you and me. Somewhere along the way, we have forgotten our place, our vocation. We have forgotten our standing relationship to both the land and the landowner. To put it bluntly, she says, they have forgotten that they own nothing, nothing at all. Everything belongs to the landowner. Theirs is not a vocation of ownership. It is a vocation of caring, of tending, safeguarding, cultivating, and protecting on behalf of another. And she further writes, when it comes to the planet, the bottom line is crystal clear in Scripture. We are not owners. We are caretakers of a vineyard God cares about deeply, a vineyard that will not thrive or even survive if we continue to treat it as a cheap, inexhaustible commodity. A very strong critique, would you not say? You see, this parable, it is a hard word for us today. And it is a critique upon us. And it is a critique upon all those who have gone on before us. And even in the midst of this being a hard word, I think it is also a life-giving word. And I believe that Walter Brueggemann and Deb Thomas are right. That part of our biblical Part of our biblical vocational call as caregivers, that's who you and I are as well, part of our vocational biblical call as caregivers, as tenders, as cultivators, and yes, as fruit bearers, because that's what we are as well, part of our biblical vocational call is to remind ourselves and others that we are to tell the truth and to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Because Jesus is very clear. Jesus is very clear. You and I are only here. Now we need to hear this. You and I, we are only here because of God's generosity. If it were not for God, you and I wouldn't be here. And Jesus tells us that God planted the vineyard, he put in the fence, he put in the wine press, he built the watchtower. Jesus reminds us that it is God's vineyard not ours to own. And we are placed here and we are given this vineyard to nurture and to cultivate 
and to steward. Another pastor, a Lutheran pastor, believe it or not, another pastor that I read on regular occasion is a pastor, Brian Stoffergen. He actually served a parish down near Tucson, Arizona for several years. And he wrote this. He says, when trees bear fruit, when trees bear fruit, it is not for the sake of the tree, but for others who receive nourishment from the fruit. He says, creatures of all kinds, from small worms to large beasts, may feast on the fruit. I know that to be true because back in those summers when I was picking those apples off the tree, oftentimes there would be apples that had fallen off the tree and they're laying on the ground. I'm going, oh, that looks like a good apple to eat. And I would pick it up and before you know it, underneath was the ants had already begun to infiltrate the apple and there were all kinds of other bugs just having a good time on that apple, having a meal, you know. He says, creatures of all kinds, from small worms to large beasts, eat the fruit. And in the evening hours, when I was out and about walking through the alleyways of Webster, South Dakota, oftentimes I would see the deer underneath my grandma's apple trees munching on the apples. He further says that humans may harvest them to use for themselves or sell as food for others. You see, back in the day, back in the day when I was plucking apples and rhubarb stalks in my grandma's backyard, that fruit, that fruit was producing not for its own sake. That tree was not producing fruit for its own sake. It was producing it for my sake and for the sake of others to receive nourishment from it. And I think we need to look at that from the perspective of who we are in this world. What is our reason for being? What is our reason? What is our purpose for being here? The life-giving word that God has for us today is that I... You and, and this, this is, I'm, I'm speaking in the first person tense now because I want you to hear this as if Jesus or God is talking to you and to me. The life-giving word that God has for us today is this, and this is God speaking to us now. I have given you a vineyard to enjoy, to tend, and to cultivate. It bears fruit for your nourishment. Take the nourishment that I give you through my generosity that I extend to you, not only through daily sustenance, but also through my love, through my grace, through my forgiveness, and bear fruit for the sake of others. That's what God is telling us. That's what God's directly telling us. That I give you this vineyard to enjoy, to tend, to cultivate, and it bears fruit for your nourishment. Take the nourishment that I give you through my generosity that I extend to you, not only through daily sustenance, but also through my love, my grace, my forgiveness, and bear fruit for the sake of others. The life-giving word for us today and every day is as long as you and I have breath, we live into God's created, God-given vineyard, and it all belongs to God. And we have been entrusted with the vastness of the vineyard to faithfully do our best to manage and to steward it. And just as that vastness of God's generosity bears fruit for our nourishment, so also may our fruit-bearing, our fruit-bearing, as followers of Christ, be acts that are done for the good of others. This is our calling and our vocation. And so I leave you with these words today from Deb Thomas who reminds us so eloquently of the trust that God has put in us. She says, Our vocation is lifelong. Our relationship to the landowner is eternal. If nothing else this week, just sit. Just sit 
with the possibility that we own nothing. Let that stew in you this week. Just sit with the possibility that we own nothing. Not this planet, not our ministries, not our churches, not even our own lives. All of it is God's and all of it is precious beyond reckoning. But the fact that God trusts us to steward it, us, she says, that is pure miracle. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and tell what God has done. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah.